For August 7th, 2023, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 788. Joy at being seen. Welcome to Overthinking, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers here are smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are uh, talking over the things that we have enjoyed together or talking over the things that we've enjoyed separately and bringing our, bringing our enjoyment to one another. I have a feeling this episode might uh, contain a little bit of that. I am uh, Matt. I'm the least smart of your smart, funny friends. I'm, I'm Matt Rather, but with me are uh, two intellectual luminaries, the likes of which uh, the world really should see more of. Uh, first in the alphabet, first in our hearts. It's been a while since I've said that. First, first in our hearts. But, you know, there's no order in the heart. So uh, it's um, the heart. The heart is a disordered, a disordered place. And that's what makes it wonderful. Hey, I've uh, completely lost the plot. I'm supposed to be introducing Peter Fenzel. Hey, Pete. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Uh, I am excellent, Pete. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Mark Lee is also with <laughs> us. Mark, uh, Mark, you're also first in our heart. There's no, there's no, there's no, uh, uh, cardinality in, in our hearts or ordinality, Aww. I suppose is what, what I, I appreciate mean to that. say. Although apparently, apparently you were about to stack Rinkus in terms of intellectual prowess there at the beginning. I was feeling a little uncomfortable. No, no, no. About that, Matt. I wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't am. sure, Matt. I wasn't sure if. I wasn't sure if I was cheer captain or on the bleachers. For that one. <laughs> Guys, I've been to the Eras tour. Ask me anything. A M A M friendship bracelet. A. Um, so friendship yeah. bracelets. I want to hear all about that. I don't know if, if we're going to do that now or later, but I have so many questions about friendship bracelets. We've we've established on the show uh, before that I, you know, I am part of a Swifty household. I mean, my my household is is an uh, an observant. Uh, Swifty household. And so when Eras Tour tickets went on sale last year, <laughs> um, the, so I was trying to remember how, uh, how long ago it was. We, uh, I, I actually was a verified fan, uh, and my wife was not because I buy the merch for her as gifts. Um, so I, uh, my, uh, you know, my email address, my like online identity was associated with all these purchases, not all these purchase. Well, all these purchases with several purchases. And, um, you know, so I got one of the coveted, uh, uh, true fan Ticketmaster codes, and uh, I Ooh, promptly the handed TFTC. that. TFTC, yeah. T- <laughs> oh, WTFTFTC. Uh, the <laughs> the um. So I promptly handed my longed details uh, and the code over to her so that she could stage manage the uh, the procuring of tickets, which we did for um. Well, it's last night as we we record this Sunday. Uh, oh, sorry, sorry, Saturday the fifth of the fifth of August in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium, where two different um major league uh major league teams play and uh and where uh, the super bowl was played uh, what a year or two years ago at the time time has no meaning anymore but uh the super bowl was played there and there was a whole bunch of old school rap do you remember that um mm-hmm. do you remember that uh, where they where they built kind of an ersatz uh ersatz like south central uh housing um, the sort of housing that they demolished by the the dozens of acres in order to build the very stadium in which this performance <laughs> was happening. They built a sort of Disney Village, you know, version uh, version of the hood. Yeah, in on the fifty Matt, yard line, they had to destroy. They had to destroy the village in order to save it. <laughs> in order to save, right? In order to 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 monetize it. Um, so uh, yeah, in this uh, in this you know very very arena. Um, and because uh, she was uh, very um, effective at doing it, we had floor seats, so we were very close. Uh, like I was, I was, um, you know, as I've, I've been in some like very small uh, music venues and not been as close to the artist as we were to Taylor Swift as she uh, walked around mm-hmm. the thing. Of course, her her. Uh, her show is peripatetic. Uh, she plays every single corner of the stage. It's like, you know, it's sort of engineered for maximum, um, engineered for maximum, uh, impact on the audience as, you know, as it would have to be given the, the sort of scale of it. 
And um, guys, I'm here to say that it it may be the best thing I've ever seen live. And I have seen Patrick Stewart uh, play the entire Christmas Carol solo all the way through. <laughs> um, You've seen the Mountain Goats in concert. Several yeah. times, <laughs> yes, yes, a bunch. Um, you Pretty see much, Tori Amos in concerts, several like times. twenty or thirty times. Yeah, to, Tori Amos in. Con- I was, I was going to save them. I was going to save them all. Uh, so, so here was the here. Okay, so here's the run of jokes I was planning to do on this. I'll just okay. you kind of <laughs> you jumped in, but every every time I said it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. I was going to say, and I've seen Mark Rylance, perhaps the greatest living Shakespearean, play Hamlet. I was going to see say, uh, I've seen Fiona Shaw in the title role of Medea, uh, maybe the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I have seen Tori Amos, the goddess herself, like two dozen times live. You know, it may be uh, it may be the greatest thing I've ever seen. And I have seen a plastic bag in a, uh, you know, dancing around in the air from a subway grate, like an American beauty. It may be the greatest thing, you know, so that, yes, this was, this was going to be, this was going to be my run of, uh, of these things. Guys, this show was insane. And I was thinking a lot about your episode that you had uh, recorded about it, about the phenomenon that um, people have of experience that that almost everyone has now of experiencing the show via social media, where you get a sense of kind of what it is by the um, you know the little snippets, right? And and it's it's sort of like the old uh, it's like the old story about the elephant that the what is it like blind men and the elephant who you know one yeah, sees yeah. the trunk and it's a tree and one sees the tail and it's a something else and one sees the ear and it's a something else that sees feels the ear and thinks ah you know the elephant is like a, a flappy leaf or something that. I don't I don't know the story but the uh, obviously but uh, you know that that we see it that we know it we know it in part. Um, but as the apostle says, you know, uh, now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part, uh, will pass away. And now I see through a glass darkly, uh, but then shall I know even as I am known. And, uh, I'm here to tell you that Taylor Allison Swift looked deeply into the heart of 80,000 people, uh, last night. And, and the, the impressive thing is that she's going to repeat the feat for, uh, you know, six shows, six days out of seven with one, one, uh, one day off, which I don't, I don't even understand. Um, one, three, three hours, three and a half. Yeah. One of the things you don't nuts, man, that is nuts of dancing and it's nonstop and it's, and she's the, she's the act, you know what I mean? It's not like a band where like different people can kind of take the lead at different, different parts, you know, and someone else can open a water bottle. Um, there's no time for her to open a water bottle because she is, she is on stage. And I was like, I don't know. I, I guess I was really impressed, uh, by, by what I saw. And I am not nearly as big a Swifty as, you know, uh, as my wife is. I have, I have favorites among the catalog. Um, it's not, it, it tends to be, on the whole, not the sort of music that, that I go for. Um, but like the, I was so on, on a number of levels, I was sort of so thrilled by it uh, and so thrilled to, to see it and the people who have a relationship and, you know, like her fans are fans, you know, um, those people were utterly transported into spasmodic raptures, uh, you know, prolonged <laughs> raptures. It was, um, it was, it was quite a thing to see. So this is one of the, one of the ways where the kind of the Instagram picture that you get doesn't do justice to the experience because the marathon nature of the experience is itself sort of its own phenomenon, right? It's, it's part of it. Like the fatigue in your legs from standing <laughs> and dancing for, for three and a half hours. I'm, you know, I don't know. I'm not even joking. It, it, there was so can, a, can we, yeah. can we, can we like dig into this a little bit here? As I, like, let's just, we got to pick somewhere to start the discussion. I mean, I, we could just sit back and let you uh, recount your concert experience for an hour. And I would be okay with that actually, because it's very interesting. We we're talking about it, but I want to specifically address this because uh, so five o'clock, we th- left the so house. Many things. 
Five o'clock, we left the house. <laughs> did you right? pregame? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did you get there, Matt? Did, did, did you take the 405? Uh, the no, 101? Oh, uh, Mark, no. We, we elected to take public transport. To the uh, oh. to the stadium as a uh, as a former municipal yeah in in Los Angeles but the uh, but the Los Angeles metro system was running extra buses and trains uh, for God this bless them. I got God to the them. I got to the nearest uh, metro station and it had been renamed I swear to good God the sign above the turnstiles said speak now Taylor's station. And uh, was, um, you know, I don't know, and people were all all sorts of uh, dressed up people were, were doing it. But Mark, no, sorry, I didn't mean to. Uh... Oh, my gosh. OK, so the parentheses Taylor's version is a whole other thing. We should, we should talk about it if we get the chance. Um, if we don't, then bookmark that, put a pin in it, talk about it on Discord. OK, three hour long concert. OK, I have so many questions about this because I feel like. At least in my, you know, uh, latter adult concert going stage, I've been very precisely conditioned to expect a concert of a certain length. And that length is about two hours. Sure. And my theory is that the venues and the unions and I don't know, Ticketmaster, Concert Nation, all the the various powers that be have kind of all uh, converged on this maximum or this optimal length of a concert. Um, for costs and logistics and uh, so many different reasons, also for the audience as well too. So you know, like like to your point, Matt. Like I feel myself getting tired at around like the one hour ish mark, right when the energy might start to lag. Right, I don't know all the songs and things like that. Sure. But then the bangers come out and you feel the momentum pick up and the energy pick up, and then you know the facade ends and then you have the encore. And if you're lucky, you get a second encore. And like that's all like two hours. I know that ride. Sure. Um, like how was that kind of the peaks and valleys of energy for you for a whole the three and a half hour experience? Like how was that? How was that? How did she manage to ride that wave? And how did the audience manage to ride that wave? I mean, the audience was the audience was with her the whole the whole way. It was pretty it was pretty amazing. So this I don't know if you know about the structure of this tour, but it's called it's called the Eras Tour. And oh, I thought it was ERAs. So it's not about like starting pitchers. Or anything like that. It's it's periods of time. <laughs> it's actually Got it's it. a it's a concept uh it's a concept tour. She comes out dressed as Phyllis Schlafly. And uh the <laughs> the ERA is debated at length in a in a one woman show. Um you know, and, and someone else plays Bella Abzug or something. No, I it's not that. It's um no the the Eras tour, each album you know, cause, uh, cause her albums like have a, each one has sort of branding associated with it. Like there's a dominant color for each album. They, they tend to be, I mean, there's overlap. It's a set of, it's a set of overlapping distributions rather than like a strict separation, but there's a dominant musical style or kind of in retrospect, a dominant musical style is sort of imputed to each of the, of the different albums. And, um, you know, different outfits, different clothes. There were different videos and stuff. So the whole, um, the whole kind of artistic project of the show is to sort of tour back through all of the eras, right? A and career some, retrospective. And it is, is it chronological then? Like no. starting with like the, the teenager. Okay. It's not okay. It's not. Yeah. It's not chronological. So it's, it is, it bounces all over the place and it's generally uh, marked. Okay, so this is the point. This is the point. Um, you know, all the songs from one album, from another album, from another album, the, the albums are arranged in order to kind of create an arc of energy. Right. And mm-hmm. so you get like folklore, which is the kind of the twee, uh, you know, pandemic album. And then, uh, la- after that, Going towards the end of the night, 1989, uh, which has, which is probably my favorite, um, Taylor Swift album, but like, uh, has a ton of bangers on it, a huge, you know, and so huge amount of energy, like nonstop dance party, you know, and, and, and on and on. So it's the, it's the era's, um, the era's concert. So the whole thing is, is organized in these kind of pods and between, you know, I, I made a joke about not being able to get a, uh, a bottle of water, but like each pod has a sort of a lacuna between, um, between one and the, and the next where she like disappears from stage. She like, you know, you've seen them all. She like either uh, exits, you know, uh, upstage or she like, uh, uh, 
is uh, you know sinks down on a on a riser into the into the stage. In one, she like dives in you know into the middle of the the runway, and then there's a projection down on the runway, or it's I suppose LED lights or something uh, shining up from the runway. But there's a video on the runway of her swimming down the runway <laughs> underneath the water to the <laughs> to the thing. This one was uh, you know this transition is is highly Instagrammed, and it's so the. Pre- Production is so intense that it's identical. You know, it's pretty much identical every night, with the exception of a, of a short acoustic set near the end. And then the newest album, um, not the strongest, but the newest called Midnight's, uh, ends the show with more songs really than than uh, any other one because they are new. Um, mm. But you know, Mark, live band. A lot of musicians, they walk out and play on stage. It's not the, the stage is not just the, the domain of like dancers and pyrotechnics and videos and stuff like that. Um, like I respected a lot of stuff. Like I respect live band and not singing to tracks. She's really singing, which, you know, becomes apparent, um, because the vocals have a, a, you know, a live quality that, that you wouldn't get with lip syncing to tracks. Uh, you know, she's dancing. She's, alone on stage the whole time i don't know i i like i ended up um almost surprised by how much i admired i expected it to be a good show i mean it's the probably the best in the business worked on it but like um i i yeah yeah i surprised S- myself by how much i admired her, it since we talked about the musicians stuff, her, her and then pete should get and ask some questions after this um her singing voice held up because um if i recall like you know that's not like you know her, her say this very politely and gently um, that that's not hasn't been one of her strengths. Mark, it was um, it was maintaining that over a long period of time. Astonishing, like athletic doesn't begin to describe it. The the physical demands that something like this must must make. Like I was I was exhausted. I wasn't uh, dancing, you know, for for a crowd of tens of thousands of people, and I wasn't wearing high heels. I have no idea. Uh, like the the level of of conditioning is is beyond uh athletic and the the vocals were good you know yeah i mean she you know she has the voice she has she's not audrey mcdonald right but like um it held like at the end of the night the upper extension was still there there are a couple of head voicey or you know kind of notes in melodies where they jump high or something like that they all happened. They all landed. It wasn't like she got hoarse over the course of the night, uh, over the course of the night. And she's doing the damn thing six times out of seven days in, in a single week. Like that's, that is almost beyond Broadway level, uh, vocal performance um and like so there must be like i was i we were kind of joking about it on the on the way home like imagining the team of like vocal coaches and masseuses you know and like oh, physical sure. physical yeah. therapists and nutritionists yeah. and whatever who like travel with this crew of people with this with taylor and the and the crew of dancers the logistics in order to just make the physical performance happen on the bodies of the dancers and singers and uh you know uh ms swift herself is uh, you know boggles the imagination like after every show a van pulls up and out of the van steps lebron james with a hyperbaric chamber right and she just she just climbs into it <laughs> they, they like take a <laughs> shot of wheatgrass juice and each climb into their hyperbaric <laughs> chambers and are hauled off to go recover for the next day yeah they have that's yeah, amazing she, she has a separate yeah they uh she and lebron have uh, ice baths next to each other you know <laughs> and they just like yeah you know and it's like hey taylor how'd your uh uh, how, how's your ice bath? Oh, good, LeBron. How's your ice bath? Oh, it's it's good. Like, uh, how'd your show go? Oh, it, my show was all right. How was your game? Well, you know, we lost, but it was all right. You know, uh, <laughs> the whole, yeah, the whole uh, the whole thing just boggles the boggles the imagination. So, so okay, I have a couple of questions about this experience, which sounds amazing, and uh, and it's interesting to revisit this concert from this perspective after having previously talked about it from the projection right from mm. the the simulacrum of it that existed throughout uh the various social media i mean we talk specifically about instagram stories right but various social media uh engagements as it were uh so okay so i guess my i have a small question and a big question mm. my small question is how was it so loud that you had to wear ear protection yes okay so that 
I, I mean, I know I'm. You could say I'm. You old didn't have five. to. It wasn't like it wasn't like when we all saw Kiss and Aerosmith together. It wasn't that like it wasn't ear blistering, but it was modern concert volume, and that's too loud. That's well, too loud for me. Can I just me. say, but I've never been a big one for modern concerts. I just haven't gone to a lot of them in my life, and, and I just. But why you go to like, old? You go to it? old timey cosplay sort of concerts or something? <laughs> no, yeah. I went to tons and tons and tons nope. of improv shows, man. Oh, well, you, go. <laughs> you, you, you go to Laurie Berkner now, man. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, Laurie Berkner doesn't hot like ticket. blast your guts out uh, against the back wall of the audience with how loud it is. Um, but I mean, I guess it's more like I don't to go to. Okay, so so the, the beer is the big question. I guess the big question is, I, how do I formulate it as a question? Maybe I'll just offer it as a thought and see, uh, and you can you can tell me how wrong I am about it or what's going on. So, by all rights, right, the show doesn't have to be this good. Hundred percent. She could take right? the like, money, she could take the money. She can make the exact same amount of money and not have a show that's this yeah. good. And and if you now this is a show that's being performed for you know as you said probably millions of people total when all is said and done will see this yeah, show I mean, in person. Well, like she's added a whole nother year of it. I I actually don't yeah. understand just because like the the amount that like your whole life is that has got to be the show. It's it's kind of like it, it is like being an athlete, right? Like in yeah. season, your whole life is about preparation for the game. You know, like conditioning for the game, like the mental uh, stamina for the game like recovering from the game yeah. everything around you is like is calibrated and this is like that and like living living in that for like two years non-stop like they're uh, like it's going to, to europe and asia it's going to south america it's going even sitting down one night in canada our neighbor to the north um yeah so uh i'm i'm sorry pete i i've i've cut you off but yes the, no, no, no. the what you're what you're saying is is right it didn't have to be nearly this good and so because what i'm a little bit disoriented by is this distance that seems to exist between uh, what I mean, we say music, but I think when we're saying music, we're saying a particular sort of music. We're talking about like music, quote unquote, the industry or music. Like when someone says, do you like music? What do they mean? They're not like, oh, yeah, you know, I totally I totally uh, like jamming out to some Gregorian chant on the weekends. Like now, yeah, I, I belong to a I belong to a traditional Peruvian chorus. Right. And like, no, 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 no. When they say do you listen to music, you see like, shanties. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and also like, you know, if you go to concerts. Right. They're not saying like, oh, did you, you know, I I hosted and uh, and listened to a, a Chinese zither concert a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you know, it was a very short thing. It was a, it was part of a presentation of some grant money. Um, but like when people say, did you go to any concerts? Like, that's not what they mean. Right? Like, they don't mean like, oh, yeah, there's, they were great. It was really interesting. I learned about the instrument and how it's tuned and all that stuff. Uh, no, 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 no. Like this this is a whole it's a whole realm, and it exists in parallel to the realm of recorded and broadly distributed music, which, I mean, I could call it popular, but of course there's a variety of genres. Uh, but this sort of professional music that gets distributed through broadcast media, and there are powerful experiences that you have. You know, broadcast media, physical media, streaming media, all of these different ways that you engage with this music, and you have these sort of powerful experiences with it. I have never really felt... In the enjoyment of a, of a of a piece of that sort of music, that it's necessary for it to also have like the best stage show that you've ever seen. And yet I've seen enough concerts with a capital C to know that that's like a possibility, right? Like, like I saw way, way past their prime U2. I got free tickets, right? Like I've seen, I've like bumbled into a Willie Nelson concert, right? Like again, way past his prime. And I've seen like, oh man, you know, they're really, really, really good at this. And and it doesn't come across in the recording to me. And maybe do people who go to concerts experience that side of the music when they are listening to it and not at it? Uh, I guess is my question. Like when you listen to a Taylor Swift album, are you experiencing it on the level that that you know participates in this kind of theatrical experience? I mean, maybe I'm just betraying. No, uh, you're not. Sort of Pete, reverence like, for the theater, like Pete. Um, You'll be surprised to hear this, perhaps, but she actually addressed this from stage. Oh, oh wow! Okay, huh. okay, right. So I am, I am, I am sort of hitting what this is about a little. So bit. part okay, of cool. part of her patter in the show, she actually said, uh, I mean, I'll paraphrase slightly, but she said words to the effect of, "You know, this is the Eras tour, and I know a lot of my fans have strong associations." 
with the album. Maybe you heard it at a particular time in your life. A lot of her, you know, because of who listens to pop music, like a lot of her fans are in her age cohort, broadly speaking, like plus or minus half a generation. And so like identify with her experience and, you know, I don't know, we're falling into and out of love with her love songs and we're, you know, I don't know, feeling uh, alienated or feeling joyful or feeling whatever, you know, and kind of went, went on this journey with her. And she said, I know people have these associations with this album, but for each of the songs I'm going to play, my goal is that you remember when you think of that song, you remember hearing it tonight. Okay. Interesting. And, and that this is going wow. to, this is, so what she was saying essentially is that she wanted this to be so good and so powerful that it would supersede, you know, your sort of what, whatever, like by being better than, you know, that it would eclipse your uh, previous associations with uh, those particular songs. So yeah, Pete, like it was, it was actually the, it was not even subtext. It was text. <laughs> Yeah, of Of the the eras of the of the show that yeah that these that this was part of the the artistic project uh, and kind of why why it aimed so high I think in terms of its its production quality. I did. I saw some. I saw a concert. I guess this was a concert with a capital C in the sense that I'm describing uh, a couple of years ago. I might have probably talked about it on the podcast. Maybe I didn't. That had a strong nostalgic factor for me. And I saw. I saw. I saw Counting Crows in concert. I, oh, nice. I'd never seen them before. Yeah, I saw but them. They're, but they're live. They're like a jam band, right? Like they're. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, exactly, right? So, so I saw. I mean, it was one of those things. Every concert, most concerts I go to, I'd say about fifty-fifty. I'm more excited to see the opening act than the actual act. And in huh. this case. They, the opening act was live, which was my favorite Ooh. band when I was in seventh grade. Uh, oh, nice. And, uh, you know, so it was I was very into I was very into that CD. Yeah, did did they yeah. stage the placenta falling to the floor in their, uh, in their <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? Like <laughs> Matt, Matt is Matt has identified the text uh, as well as the subtext, which is like if you go to a Counting Crows concert, they are a band that is playing music. Right. Like as as in like the the album serves as a record right of the kind of thing that they do uh and and it's nice to hear them live you know and probably was nicer to hear them live when when maybe they were you know had a little more energy or whatever but it was a good show it was great but like there's nothing there was nothing of an order fundamentally different between being at the show watching them and like listening to one of their albums and and with live the show the staging even if you bring something like the videos into it, the staging for the live concert was like lots of very deep red lights and like a sort of dissociating, uh, you know, uh, kind of presentation where you're sort of aware that there's a band on stage, but they're really not trying to make it clear who's who or what's going on. You know, so it's supposed to be a sort of more uh, I don't want to say like a sort of trance state, but like something along those lines of like a sort of musical revel. Right. Uh, in, in the music, whereas like, the, the videos that they had were all very narrative and, and had a lot of, you know, kind of points and beats to them. Um, and I'm, I'm just thinking about I'm just trying to draw some sort of comparison because I hear something like, oh, you know, you describing going to see Taylor Swift in this way or like, you know, I think the first time that this really kind of struck me was hearing, uh, you know, Ryan talk about seeing Kanye in concert at one mm. point. Right. He who must not be named and, and sort of being like, wow, like. He sounds really different. I come not to praise or bury Kanye, you know, but rather to say like, wow, the description of the experience of seeing him live seems to be almost speaking a different language than listening to his album. Right. And so here, Taylor Swift's engagement with what the experience is to listen to the album versus what it is to see her in concert seems to be, yeah, doing some interesting things and hitting some of the seams in that relationship uh, from the way that you describe it, I guess. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, it was. Uh, it's it's interesting to bring them up in this in the same, yeah. uh, given their, uh, you know, I don't know their their troubled troubled history. Oh, that's true. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll let you finish. I'm gonna let you. Finish. <laughs> uh, there you go. There it is. There it I'm is. Gonna let you nice. finish. But actually, but I'm Taylor. Yeah, but Taylor had one of the. <laughs> but Taylor had the the you know biggest money making concert of all time. <laughs> of all, oh, time. all time. It's a disservice. 
it's a history oh that gosh. that's one of the moments that we all remember <laughs> and we mostly remember it because we all made fun of it when it happened oh, right geez. like <laughs> i mean I, I it's a shame that we don't talk about uh puffy is great but wu-tang is for the children <laughs> as often as we talk about i'm gonna let you finish <laughs> um, <laughs> or soy bring, bring it what back to soy bomb to, <laughs> to bring it back to the, the, the this uh to, to the Taylor Swift concert um and this is kind of you know, question about you know presentation and staging versus the recorded aspects of it like we got a layer and also like the music video um part of you know kind of experiencing them uh you know as the songs were contemporaneously released right like you know for me like you know my enjoyment for taylor swift um songs i'm sure for a lot of the hardcore swifties comes from the creative music videos and something like you know the aforementioned um you belong with me right again it's your captain and being on the bleachers and you know how taylor swift inhabits both of those roles and it kind of you know really captures that kind of you know teen romance longing kind of thing right now from what i understand the way you described it matt like you know the costumes the staging evoke those uh the images that she's already put out so she's kind of having it both ways right you know she wants to um capitalize on the visual memory that you have that she helped create and then also surpass it in some way. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think it's fair to say. I think that one has a really specific set of associations. There are other ones that are more, I don't know, um, that are, that are more sort of associative or that are more like, uh, uh, abstract, right? But, you know, yeah, the, the dancers are wearing like Letterman jackets, you know, in that one, because it's so obvious that it's about high school, right? It's the, the manifest content yeah. of it. So that, that one, you can think of them as being on a continuum from the, like, the, the very specifically costumed to the, you know, slightly more evocatively, uh, evocatively costumed. Um, mm. Yeah. So, yeah. but from, from the, from the like Dr. Dre halftime show to the Rihanna halftime show in level of specificity. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause what was she wearing? Like a kind of a marshmallow or so like an orange marshmallow or something at that, uh, at that show. I forget what her, what, what she had on. No, um, no it was all very abstract, but well, never mind. It's, 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 we already did a podcast about that. We, we do, about we do, we do one every, every year, like the swallows. Although now returning. we're doing it. Yeah. Like the swallows returning to Capistrano, we will, yeah. you know, talk about the 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 halftime show. But so, I mean, speaking of the music videos, you know, modern concerts have video as a huge component of the, uh, you know, of what's going on. Like, and and modern stadiums are built to display video. Modern stadia, I should say, are built to display video to the people who are watching because, like, you know, looking looking up from the the field. Um, like being on the ground and looking up, it's like 20 stories, 25 stories of people. And, and SoFi is built vertically, like, uh, is, is built kind of in tiers, um, rather than kind of getting set back. It's, it's like, uh, it's like a wedding cake. Um, so, uh, you know, these, these layers, they all have, uh, kind of screens at their, at their level that, that are appropriate. And so there is a, you know, simulcast, uh, simulcast, um, video uh, performance that is going on, uh, right at the same time as the show. And it has, uh, aspects of like projection design and sort of video art. I mean, it's not projection. They're all, they're all jumbotrons, right? But whatever the, the current technology for jumbotrons is, but like, um, there, there's, so there's like artistic interpretation stuff where there's, you know, video and there, uh, like, uh, there's, uh, uh, video imagery. I mean, artistic imagery and there's like, uh, sometimes clips from the music videos or you know uh interpretive mm. video uh there's one you know where it's a lot of different versions of taylor in different outfits singing and different kind of looks singing along with the song or sort of being you know interacting with what's going on on stage uh at least in one um she uh dances in unison with a with a sort of dance troupe of herself um and on and on and on and at the same time there is this elaborate uh, live video setup broadcasting the um broadcasting the show as it's happening you know sometimes in like split screen or sometimes it's integrated into the pre-recorded video the the projection art you know in some interesting way but there's a live um a live version of it i you know i don't know i tried to capture some of that in the so the video that that i i sent along and it's not unlike 
as a live experience, not unlike what you guys were talking about as the kind of the Instagram uh experience of watching it on stories watching it in reels watching it in like 30 second snippets because like these shots are on average like 30 seconds long you know as they 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 cut from thing to thing so you're watching a kind of live simulcast of the uh you know of the show in this kind of instagram format and like very very often it's um i don't know it's it's uh super spectacly like where you know she'll be standing there and then like right behind her is a giant version reproduction of her face broadcasting what she's what she's singing which is i was thinking you know i was thinking about this as a person who's been to theater school this is a really difficult challenge in performance right because theater performance is big and film performance is small because a camera captures is right up in your face and captures every nuance and theater you have to sort of like uh indicate a performance that is going to, um, you know, reach the back wall. That back wall is very big in a football stadium, uh, and it's very tall in a football stadium. And yet, like, there's a camera so close that you, you there was huge effect from like raising an eyebrow or something like that. That that had like mm. a just a. So I, I was thinking that it's a it's an interesting challenge in in performance and requires like a real awareness, a real choreography of like knowing what the shot is uh at any given at any given point and like was was another just sort of like virtuosic thing that that I that I sort of that I sort of admired but I was thinking of you guys and your your sort of Instagram thing because I think that like I I think it's part of the, the part of it is the attention span of the audience and kind of what people come to expect from a spectacle like this and what um you know, and, and, uh, just what, what, uh, the logistics of a space that big require for, uh, for something, right? Cause if you're, you know, if you're up in the nosebleeds and there's like a little, you know, brightly lit ant up on stage, kind of like walking back and forth on, on sort of a, a long runway stage that you can see, that's, uh, probably not the most compelling experience. So you need that, you need that like big Jumbotron video in order to, to feel can, like you're a part of it. Can you, can you walk us through? Can you walk us through your thought process of what you chose to pay attention to at any given moment? Oh, 100%. I I like being a weird old guy. Like I was actually at pains to make sure I was watching the live version of Taylor. I feel like there's sort of a moral imperative to do that rather you than You also had amazing seats so you that you could do that. I, yeah, I did thanks to my did it, thanks right? to my wife got get a lot out of the yeah, get a lot out of the the thing. Like, um, yeah, and it was it was very exciting. Like, you know, she walks among us, Mark. You know, she she you know, her foot her footsteps fall. You know, <laughs> on the same on the same ground we tread. Um, and the uh, uh, yeah, but like it is hard. Like sometimes when you know when the the circus is like at a different corner, <laughs> you know, in a different like quadrant of the football stadium. Like sometimes uh, the best you can do is to just look up and see the. Uh, look up and see the jumbotron. So that was um, that was an interesting that was an interesting uh, part of it. I it, you know and I, I so I was thinking of this kind of fragmented nature of watching something happen through uh, social media, and I was also I was also put in mind of a philosophy dans le boudoir by the Marquis de Sade. Uh, not not a reference we've heard a lot on the podcast. We don't talk about him too much. <laughs> not, not a not a great deal, but uh, it is his. Uh, it is. I don't his... think of myself as a sod boy. I'll just say that much. <laughs> <laughs> it is a. Uh, it is his long philosophical uh, treatise, and and also you know has like lots of sort of gross, dirty bits in it. But the um, you know as as the uh, as the uh, orgiastic debauchery is uh going it takes place in the form of like a socratic dialogue um where a, a sort of older wiser person uh educates a uh you know an, an acolyte and uh the role of mirrors in the sadistic orgiastic debauch um is is discussed right and that like the mirror by multiplying the the debauchery visually uh the mirror multiplies our pleasures as well is the is the claim that's made in this um 
this work of I, I mean it would probably be too much to call it philosophy but this uh this work of of high class pornography and the um i w- i was thinking i was put in mind of that as well that like i don't know if one uh singer if one like famous pop star singing is good then maybe like 10 famous pop stars singing is better you know, uh, maybe like, uh, 30 angles or, or maybe it's Picasso, right? Like maybe like 30 angles on the face is better than one angle on the face because you get a more, um, uh, kind of kaleidoscopic, uh, and, and somehow maybe more complete version of the, uh, uh, version of the, um, you know, the live event that's happening in front of you, not limited to one, to one perspective, you know, and that, that instead of producing a hyper reality, it produces maybe an intensified reality, um, a, uh, you know, a kind of concentrated, a, a concentrate, a syrup, it produces a kind of syrup that, uh, you know, I don't know, is, is sweeter to taste than the, uh, than the, the, you know, plain vanilla show would be. Interesting. So that is cool that, you know, dwelling within this cultural landscape at the same time that the show exists in an opposition to the landscape and a sort of desire to supersede the landscape, it also reflects it or at least arrives at a lot of the same conclusions, it seems. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is the it is the primary mode of communication, isn't mm. it? Right? Like the <laughs> the thirty second video, don't you think? Like yeah, what, I guess so. Yeah. What is more, you know, what is more, what medium is more emblematic uh, of our time than the than the TikTok? You know. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Tick, so talk. T- <laughs> take it to the talk. You don't so, stop. If I might take this opportunity to shift gears a little bit, I want to contrast what you're describing with an experience I had this week. Please. Artistically. So what we you've just described is a is a sort of apotheosis of meta historical art historical like personal nostalgia but also kind of a cultural uh kaleidoscope uh, of kind of the present and the past and, and the future and all that stuff so so i had and all tied together with music and a similar experience well not similar vastly different experience because i was riding an airplane because i went on vacation this week uh, i went to my sister's wedding congratulations to my sister uh who is awesome and my brother-in-law is also awesome but i was i was out in uh, colorado and uh on the flight over there um of course i have two small children one of whom was riding on our laps and so i had no real opportunity to uh you know have free hands or like plug in a pair of headphones that weren't going to immediately get torn off of my face uh, and mo- much of the ride involved me putting my hat or my sunglasses on and off again, over and over again to amuse this, uh, baby before she went back to sleep. But I watched something that I would, adv- I, I, I don't know, maybe you guys would get something out of this. I, my, my initial thought was like, this is a cool way to watch this movie is that I watched the George Lucas nostalgic teen, uh, heavily musicified, uh, semi, you know, documentary style, uh, last night of summer movie, American Graffiti, with no sound. I just watched it with subtitles, reading the movie while I was watching it. And huh. this is a movie that, yeah, that, so this is a movie that's similar to the Eras Tour, I believe, because it's it's a movie that's made in the seventies, about the fifties, and it's looking back at you know supposedly the way that we used to live, right? Like the from the perspective of the filmmaker, uh, talking about their own youth. Um, and yeah, it's made in nineteen seventy three. It's about nineteen sixty two. It's the George. It's the George Lucas Eras Tour. It's a yeah. It's the George Lucas era story. It's a real. If you, I, I didn't actually. These do exist. There are such things as real George Lucas movies, uh, which which we all talk about Star Wars so much. But um, but Wait, the, no, there were two. There were there yes, were two, two. <laughs> right? Like there's like THX eleven thirty eight. There's uh, there's American Graffiti. That's those yeah. are the two George Lucas movies. And so the thing that I I won't spoil it because I don't think you guys have seen it. I'd never seen it before. I don't know what it's like to watch it with the sound on. I have certain guesses based on the way that it's composed. And also because it's very obvious that it's been influential on a lot of other movies. It's a, it's like, it's the last night before, you know, these high school grads are leaving to go to college and they all have different goals and it kind of jumps from character to character. So it felt to me very similar to something like can't hardly wait, uh, except as much more of an art film and much sadder and, and, and weirder. Uh, and, uh, and maybe that also might be because I was watching it with no sound. And it's all held together through the different characters all listening to the radio. 
uh, and the radio playing the same songs from like 1962 over and over again, right? Uh, that we've all heard a bazillion times. And stripping away the nostalgia that's brought to bear by the music, I feel like must change what this movie means because it is such a strange freaking movie to watch without the sound. And what it feels like is it feels similar to like the Elvis movie that we watched, uh, right? Uh, in that it's like attempting to kind of look back at this part of history, pop culture history that has become so just saccharine and, and kind of overworn that it's hard to find the sort of human guts in any of it. Mm. And, and so, um, and, and which is of course the opposite of Taylor Swift's catalog, which remains vital in every track to this day of every disc and whatnot, not even every disc, every streaming thing, but it's like, well, okay. I mean, I, this is the question I have coming out of it, which is just how much do we allow, especially nostalgic music to make us think we understand what's going on in a situation where maybe we don't, uh, right? Because we because we feel that it's familiar. Um, and, and I don't know whether people watching this movie, I'll give you some concrete examples of things that happen in this movie that are colored with nostalgic music that are also reflections of, you know, what we would think of as cliches from, you know, 50s, early 60s teen culture, but which in this particular context felt really raw and difficult and often unpleasant and thoroughly unethical, right? Like it's, it's, it's almost a little bit taxi driver-ish, not really, but it's like not in the sense of people getting murdered, but in the sense of like, there's really no qualms about showing people being really horrible. Um, and I think that also might be a stark reflection of the changing social norms between both 1962 and 1973 and the current day. But like, for example, like, and it just to, to, this feels very Taylor Swifty. So it is so terrible. Like it is, it is true, Pete, that like our, it seems like our popular entertainments don't allow for people to act discreditably, uh, right. Without like being super moralizing about it. And that, that is anti-dramatic, uh, in, yes, it, yes, me, yes. yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I, I took but you off to tie your, this to the Taylor Swift stories, right. That we've been telling, there's a very Swifty sort of character in this movie who is given very short shrift. Uh, and I want to just talk about her a little bit. Her name is Lori Henderson. She's played by the actress, Cindy Williams, and she is the long suffering girlfriend of Ron Howard, who is, who is here in his sort of post Opie glory or, or whatever, uh, playing a teenager, who is headed to go off to college and you, you fully expect this is a couple that's been together for a while and, and you, and she could tell that she is expecting him to propose marriage to her on this night. And one of the sort of inciting incidents of the movie is that they sort of sit, you know, in a car and they're talking and it seems to be building towards something. And what it builds towards is Ron Howard saying that while they're at college, they should see other people and then they can like get back together when he comes back, <laughs> which is like, and it comes across as just such a such an awful, awful thing that this guy says to her. And she is just so kicked in the teeth by it. Right. Like it is just it is he is oblivious to either is oblivious or or, or just incredibly indifferent to the feelings of this person. But of course, they're teenagers. Right. Like they don't maybe they are just incredibly oblivious to the harm that they do to each other. Right. Like uh, but maybe all people are. Maybe it's not just young people, you know, um, maybe more people than just that. But. But there's this, there's, you know, there's, there's this, a Taylor Swift song about that, really, uh, Pete, yeah. where, where a, uh, a remorseful boy says to a girl, the worst thing that I ever did is what I did to you. Uh, but if I showed up, batch party, would you anyway, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I honestly don't get the reference, but it's because uh, I, I haven't listened to as much Swift as I, I'm, I'm behind on my Swift. Give me some sort of modest proposal of some Swift I can listen to, to catch up. <laughs> it's no, you have to do all the eras, you know. <laughs> all of them. Extraordinarily, it's an extraordinarily big undertaking. It would be multiple semesters of a college course to really cope with all the material. But yeah, and so like. And so this is all, you know, imagine this being colored by kind of stuff that you would hear on oldies radio, right? And the oldies radio makes this all feel like, oh, remember when we were all so young and so stupid or or like so young and we didn't know what we were doing. And the arc of the movie is carries Ron Howard's character away from going away to college and kind of towards staying with this woman in a way that feels like awful <laughs> to me, right? Like, like, but it's sort of a foundational myth of the particular sort of, of Midwestern insurance agent is what he specifically is in the movie he grows mm -hmm. up to be. 
And and it's and it's like I don't want to feel positive and nostalgic about what's happened. This has been miserable. And uh, and then also there's these four dudes that are sort of the the uh, the friends, and they each have their own plots, and those plots each involve other people. Three of them involve women very prominently. And at the end of the movie, you get a catch up on what happened to each of the four guys, and they don't mention any of the women, right? Like which is which is, uh, and I'm not doing this to indict it politically, but rather to sort of point out like, wow, you know, this all felt normal. You know, like like there's this character who is who is because uh, also this is a thing from freaking 50 years ago. Right. Like uh, this is an ancient, ancient piece uh, by by modern standards. But it's like, uh, you know, you have this. I guess what I'm coming around to is that the the Swiftian narrative was always before us. And we just didn't have somebody giving it enough voice to see it. Or at least we didn't. Or maybe our our parents or whatever. I don't know. But um but yeah, it's Pete, just, what do you say? Say more about say more about the Swiftian the Swiftian narrative, uh, and how it gets um how it gets how it gets obscured sure. in American I, graffiti. I, I will talk. About, here's another one of the the best arc in American graffiti, if you ask me, is the arc of John Milner, the hot rod racer, right? Which of course is a character in this movie, and and John Milner is he's a little older than everybody else. You get the sense. Uh, he's not going anywhere. You know, everybody else is maybe going off to college, maybe has some sort of prospects or some a partner. But he's a very solitary person. He's very cool. He looks like James Dean and he drives a yellow hot rod. But it's from like it's like a 30s car or 40s car that's been souped up. And uh, he spends the evening. He's like the, the one of the conventions of the movie is that, you know, these teenagers have no way of communicating with each other. They don't have cell phones. They don't call each other from their houses. They just all drive down the street and get in and out of others cars in traffic. Right. So like that's how they socialize uh, or they like meet at parking lots and they jump in and out of each other's cars. Uh, and that's how they sort of mix and match and mingle with each other. And so he he pulls up next to another car at a, at a light and it has a bunch of girls in it. And he asks if he wants to ride with him and a and and one of the little sisters in the car who is a sort of unwelcome participant in the like day out the night out with the teenage girls. Mm. So this girl is probably like 14, 15 years old, maybe, maybe 16. I don't know, but like much younger than this guy who like is at youngest as in 19, maybe 20 years old and gets into his car, her car, his car with him. Uh, Cause like, Oh yeah, you know, Janie's sister, you know, she'll go. Uh, and so this guy's immediately horrified, right? Because this is like, if anyone sees him with this person, it's horrible. It's also like not safe for her because he fully expects to get into a drag race with Harrison Ford before the movie is over, mm. uh, which in fact does happen. And like, there's this sense, it almost becomes Bergman esque in this sense of like, this guy fully expects that he's going to be killed in a horrible car accident before the end of the movie. <laughs> and like, uh, um, and, and he has this young girl with him who has this very inaccurate idea or like this very warped notion of uh, of like what role this sort of guy would play in her life. Hmm. We're, we're so, like we're something to happen between them. Right. Like you could tell that she is it, it, a, a lazy reading of it would be to say that she's innocent uh, and she's not innocent. Right. In the sense that like that just oversimplifies it. She's a human being who's kind of learning about other human beings. And of course, you know, she's excitable by exciting things, but she also finds herself like in the company of older men because she's been, you know, because girls get sexualized at a young age. And and this movie, of course, fights that really hard. Like it's like this guy is like super uncomfortable with the situation. Um, and and it's sort of almost a critique of like the uh, Jerry Lee Lewis vibe, I suppose, of like, you know, back then it was OK. And it's like, no, this is not OK. Um but you see the situation of her kind of like reaching out to him for something, you know, whether it's like, do you think that I, you know, do you think that I'm pretty? Do you think that I'm cool? Right. Like, like validate me in some way. Uh, you know, I, I don't get the, this validation in this other place, but I think you're really cool. And I kind of want to get this from you. And you get the sense that if he were to do something like that, it would kind of be an act of violence. Mm. Right. Like it would be an act of harm for him to really just sort of out and out say that. Um, and it would kind of lead her down a path. Right. And, and, uh, the way he for, he forces the issue by like making himself into a heel and acting in such a sort of like weirdly suggestive way that it kind of prompts her to leave, which is his whole idea. And it's like, basically he's trying to get her to tell him her address so he can drive her home. And she refuses cause she doesn't want to go home. And eventually she, he's like, well, if you don't go home, you're going to have to stay with me. And she's like, okay, I live here. I was like, good. Like I sort of called your bluff. Right. Um, but there's also this prospect, I guess the Swiftian thing about it, the Swiftian prospect, as I understand it in this sense is like, 
this the the other the sort of the other of the romantic uh I mean romantic's the wrong word. What would what word would you use for like the Jake Gyllenhaal figures in the Swift musicalia? Like for this sort of I wouldn't call them love interests, right? These sort of like present men who are described from either a distance or from a from an intimacy that are uh, that have a powerful emotional effect on the singer that is sometimes really, really bad, but sometimes also really sort of painfully beautiful, either because of where she is in her life or like what she's feeling. Right. Um, uh, sure. I, there's a, there's a, uh, um, what's it called? Forever and it's down in flames. You tell me it's over. Uh, blank space. The, from 1989, uh, there, there's a lyric where she is, uh, you know, evaluating, a romantic prospect and she says, Oh my God, look at that face. You look like my next mistake. And so there are a lot of previous next mistakes that, yeah, that pre- previous next mistakes that, yes, yes. that uh, people, the, that people, yeah. the, the lyrics, but, but it takes a turn. Right. And I think part of what, how this takes a turn is the, um, there's a great scene where they stop at a light and there's another car that like taunts them or something. Oh, the, the car had thrown a water balloon into their, into their car. And when they stop at the light, the young girl runs out with like a can of shaving cream and like shaving creams, the car, right? The other car. And the guy gets out of the car and like lets the airs out of its tires. Right. And the, and, and there's this powerful sense that like the girl is able to participate in this because she's still young. And this is the sort of last look at youth that this guy is going to have. Right. That like that, that he's sort of an aging cool guy. He's like the sort of uh, he's the kind of um, the what's his name uh, from Can't Hardly Wait, the aging football player. Ter- Jerry O'Connell plays him right where it's like, oh, the, I'm the guy that is that was cool a couple years ago. But I represent the sort of frontier of coolness and beyond here, there be dragons. Right. I, like, oh, I think of Matthew McConaughey and Dazed and Confused. Oh yeah, except Matthew McConaughey loves it though, right? Yeah, like, sure. Yeah, he's yeah. not uncomfortable in that role. He's not he, like he, yeah. he doesn't have this sort of secret knowledge that like actually you know beyond that cliff is death, right? Like you know that like you look over that horizon and it's just a steep drop, right? And like uh, you should really enjoy being young because if you don't make any sort of progress, uh, you know it's just it's going to end one way or the other. And and there's this sense where it starts out with this idea of like is he going to become this thing for her? And instead, she becomes this thing for him, which is this sort of reminder of this part of him that he's losing as he's aging. Well, right. I mean, um, it's, I, I would say that the, the sort of the, the Swiftian um, frame shift and that that's something that I, I really appreciated about this is that um, she I, I don't know. I was listening to people try to try to describe sort of what she means to them. And I I love your description of American graffiti that in the like the coda where you get the like, you know, I don't know, like, uh, you know, Pete Fenzel went on to to found a, a you know, a, a crypto exchange and now is a billionaire <laughs> or whatever. Right. Like it's that's, not like that. But sure. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Where they give you the text yeah. next to the person's picture and that the they end. and that they left out. They left out the. Um, they left out all the girls like her thing is like, well, what if the girls were actually all that mattered? You know, like what if the, what if the boys were, were, you know, at best interchangeable, right. Uh, when not, when not actively malevolent as in, um, uh, 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 all too well, ten minute version, Taylor's version, yeah. right? Like stealing your I, scarf and whatnot. Yeah. I do like, uh, I do like that. It's you know, normally music isn't advertised as a quantity, <laughs> right? 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 Yeah. I do like, I do like <laughs> ten minute version. And the pattern she introduced it uh, with was, um, you know, there's one more song I'd like to play for you. So if you have about ten minutes, and then she started playing it, it was cute. Um, but like, what if the, you know, what if the sort of the the boys in that in in those stories don't matter and what if we sort of centered the female narratives you know of girlhood and young womanhood um and like what if best friendship was the real romance of mm. uh you know of young womanhood and that's why like she has uh right now Heim the the three sisters who are the band Heim uh are is opening for her and they they played on um Evermore and so they actually while at the shows they're doing they show up on stage and play along with her on the you know the song that they that they recorded with her and stuff and it's very you know like it it's very cool because like they're they're obviously like everyone is so like chuffed to be like playing this this music together and it's it's such a uh great 
great thing to see. And like, that is it, the, um, the, uh, the kind of the discourse drink that I, that I've heard online about kind of what it, what it means to people is that like there, there, there isn't a clearer articulation uh, at least in some women that I've heard talk about its um, estimation, a clearer articulation of kind of what it what it is like to grow up as a girl in this in a certain place or time. And that like the way that a lot of artists kind of give voice to our, um, you know, give voice to our inner feelings and sort of ennoble our experience by, you know, reframing it in a particular way. She does that uh, for these young women and now, you know, adult women who are uh, who are her fans and the like the you know, I don't know the the whole, you know, thing is the 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 whole like revolutionary part of it is, well, what if we treated this as though it were as important as monster trucks and football? You know, right. right. What, well, yeah, sure, sure. What sure. if we treated this as though it actually mattered and like as though this were this were actually um this were actually the stuff and that you know it's uh in in the case of a lot of of um art you can you can kind of unite yourself to you can kind of unite yourself to it. It's why we, like it's why a lot of poems are read at funerals or or weddings or whatever, you know, that the um you know, indeed in indeed in my my wedding a passage from um uh, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature in any language ever, John Milton's Paradise Lost, uh was read because I couldn't articulate it better than um uh better than than John Milton did uh in that in that uh seminal work. But the um you know, the, the, and the, the interesting thing about the show, right. As opposed to whatever the private, the private meanings have been of the people. Um, I was, you know, I, I was thinking about this at, as I was reflecting on the show and like, I'm, you know, me, I'm into a lot of like singer songwriter music. I like a lot of like raw, you know, deeply felt, uh, quote unquote authentic indie stuff. Um, and that's, and that's an aesthetic and it's also a, um, you know, there's kind of a, a normative argument about it. There's a moral argument about about it. There's a kind of economic and and like um, uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that that goes into into that. And and you know, also I, I went to theater school and right like in in that sort of performance, you know, the sort of performance that you would you would expect to see in like a Sam Shepard play, right? Um, the goal is to to make something happen on stage is to like have a real moment that takes place, you know, that we all, that we all bear witness to. The goal of spectacle is different, right? The goal of spectacle is to make something take place inside the person who's witnessing it. And so it doesn't matter, right? If the performers are feeling anything, (laughs) the point is to engender um, the point is to engender an experience in, uh, in the person watching, you know, and, uh, just for me, like from what I saw, a lot of that experience that, that individual people have had and, and were having around me was one of something like validation, you know, and of a kind of, um, you know, a, a kind of like joy at being seen. Uh, and understood by, by someone else. And that to, to sort of engineer that simultaneously, um, for tens of thousands of people, for millions of people over the course of, uh, you know, this tour, millions of people the world over, uh, over the course of this tour seems to me to be an interesting, I mean, I mean, seems to be to be kind of a marvelous thing to, uh, to happen and to sort of take, you know, to, to take that, um, and it's it's always. I mean, I don't know. Like it, it, it is. American graffiti is is really interesting because of of the nostalgia and because of the role that the that the music plays. Um, you know, and it's uh, in summoning up an era, right? Uh, yeah. And it's an era um, that has a, a meaning that you ascribe to it ex post facto, right? And it's instrumental. Uh, well, no, it's vocal, but no, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, I mean, it's, it's use is instrumental, right? Because that, that nostalgia is in service of something, right? Is trying to, is trying to bring, bring something, bring something about. 
in the case of a lot of like nostalgia for the fifties, it seems to be like a, a nostalgia for a, a, a simpler, simpler time. I don't know when mm-hmm. we like pretended that only white people exist or something. And that like, you know, going to the malt shop was the, the height of the exp- I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen back to the future. You know, I'm not up on my history, right? That's back to a- the future is now the definitive movie about the 50s. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Historic, painstakingly researched. historically (laughs) historically accurate um but that like in the you know i don't know in the the concert that i saw it was in the service of something like something like empowerment or something like celebration um of an experience that is too often kind of marginalized or or undervalued and i to me there was something really cool about that Maybe we leave it there. Um, thanks everybody for listening, Pete and Mark. Thanks for thanks for letting me ramble on. I appreciate oh, yeah. it. I, yeah. Really, yeah. I, I, I had a lot of uh, I, I had a lot of reactions to uh, to seeing this thing, and I definitely like <laughs> it's it's interesting. I'm I'm really I'm really curious to hear uh, my I, I you know Christina took to, took the dog out to walk probably so she wouldn't have to like you know listen to me talk about it. But I'm really curious to hear. Uh, what what she thinks of all all of this stuff that that we're talking about it because I definitely had the overthinker's reaction to it, which was like, oh god, I've seen this amazing concert. I want to go theorize about this, yeah. <laughs> you know. And that's that's probably not as common as it seems <laughs> if the sample size is us and our friend group, you know. What yeah, I mean? fair enough. So I'm I really appreciate the opportunity uh, to uh, that that in this space you guys gave me to come and talk and talk about it a little bit um and and uh, that all of our listeners give us to us i i the, you know i don't know it's a it's a special it's a special space that we create here and i hope uh in your ears this podcast creates an experience where uh, you feel celebrated and seen uh, as you listen to it all right we'll be back next week with more overthinking a podcast till then you can visit us on the web at overthinking it.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it, it probably, probably doesn't deserve parentheses matthew's version close parentheses Yeah, are you going to re-record this podcast now, Matt, with Matthew's version that's three times? The same? <laughs> yeah, if the if the yeah if the SAG after strike means that you know someone else is going to take our our master tapes and going to own our rights or something like that, the the it's an incredible business move. It's just such a boss move. I we should talk about it a, at another time because I think there's a lot to say. Yeah, about. we got to talk about that. Yeah, join us in the Discord. Talk about that. Um, also, <laughs> the friendship bracelets. We didn't get to talk about the French. Oh, friendship I'll show you. Matt. I have a picture of all my friendship bracelets. I'll put maybe I'll put that in the Discord.